Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. In episode 39, our guest Heidi Sarna gave us the inside scoop on Singapore, where she lives. But we also discovered that she's cruised over a hundred times. So we had to talk with her about cruising, specifically about small ships. Heidi, welcome again to Places I Remember. Thank you. Nice to be here. Let me ask you, you're you're the co-founder with Ted Skull of the website quirkycruise.com. Why and when did you start Quirky Cruise? Ted and I, we've been friends and colleagues for more than 20 years, and we worked together on various projects over the years. And we realized we both liked the smaller ships I hate to say better, but somehow they, they left more of a uh, lasting imprint on us. So about, let me see, six years ago, we decided to create a website sort of as an anthology to collect our own personal small ship articles and, and from other travel writers, because there wasn't really anything like that that we knew or that nothing that was you know huge, like Cruise Critic tends to focus on big ships. So we thought, let's, let's start something to share, to basically share some of the the more unusual stuff, not necessarily the mainstream river cruises that people know about, but there's quite a lot of quirky, unusual, small stuff that we just love and that a lot of people truly, you know, just don't know about. Yeah, some fleets are just one ship. Now, I've cruised on ships as well of all sizes. And in fact, I wrote a book in the 1990s called The World's Most Exciting Cruises, and they were not on big mainstream vessels. How would you define a small cruise ship versus a larger mainstream ship? Right. Well, that's arbitrary, as you probably know, too. But so Ted and I decided to call it at 300 passengers. So Quirky Cruise only covers cruises under 300 passengers. But I guess considering that there are ships, as you know, carrying four and 5,000 passengers that you know, small, 800 is still on the small side or 1,000, but we are focusing really on the smaller ones. So for us, it's 300 and under. Yeah, I mean, some people call a small ship anything under 5,000 passengers, you know, and I I think it's a very arbitrary number. So let's stick to what you say. It's, It's about 300 or under, and you can go all around the world on that. Now, there are some places only small ships can go. They sail into small harbors, shallow channels, and out-of-the-way places that that are not teeming with tourists. Can you give us some examples of those kind of harbors? Well, I would say, right, so quirky, we we cover rivers, canals, and ocean-going small ship cruises. So the ocean-going ones, I would say, you know, for instance, parts of the Norwegian fjords in Alaska. Now, big ships go there, but the small ships... um, both river going and canal going and ocean going could get into a lot of places, obviously rivers, big ships can't get to, but ocean going uh, small ships can uh, go to a lot of places that the big ships can't, such as um, the West coast of Scotland is, is a prime um, place uh, that where you can find a lot of wonderful 10, 12, 15 passenger boats. And they, they're going to the, the Hebrides, the inner Hebrides, the outer Hebrides, and it's really just a, a place where you find small ships and the, the, the seas can be sort of rough at times, but for a small ship, but it's just really gorgeous cruising area for people that like to go somewhere remote and the gorgeous, you know, history and the old rocks and such. Another place is, I would say, Croatia, Alaska. These are places also where 
small ships can get to re- really tiny off the beaten track places that there's just no way a big ship could get to. And some of them don't even have names. I would say in Alaska, like you're in the inside passage, but the ships can literally go up against it. I'm sure you've been there, Leah, many times. The ships, the uncruised ships, for instance, Alaskan dream cruises can go up against sheer walls of rock and the passengers can touch the wall. <laughs> You know, wow. that's how close you are. On a small yes, ship. I've been I've been on ships yeah. in Alaska, yeah. big and small. And the big ones yeah. sometimes can't get close. And you, we watch the small ships go right up to the glaciers when they're calving. And yeah. it's quite exciting to watch. Yeah. I'm sure it's more exciting to get to be there. I'm thinking of, of Greece. You know, there are mainstream ships that go there, big ships. But a small ship can go at a time when other passengers aren't coming out. It's not as crowded. And the whole island, that's another thing about it. The whole atmosphere changes when you're in a small ship because you're not crowding the harbors and crowding the places you're going. The whole feeling is more local, not full of tourists. And when you go to smaller places, the same thing happens. There aren't a lot of tourists. So these ships can go where other tourists aren't going. And it's a very special thing to do for me. I really feel the place when I'm in a small ship rather than seeing my friends and other ships coming off. And the itineraries are really the big plus to me. Around 300 or so people, and you could go safely to many places around the world. How far can a ship with 300 people go around the world? Can it get to South Pacific? Can it get to Antarctica and the Arctic? Yeah, sure. So as you know, there's there's the expedition ships from Lindblad and many other companies. There's a new one from called the World Navigator from Atlas Ocean Voyages. Many others. So, so they go between the poles. So these ships are traveling from Antarctica down to the Arctic and in between. So a smaller ship sometimes would take maybe a little bit longer than a huge ship that might be a little bit faster. But, but yeah, they, they really can go anywhere in the world. As you said, South, South Pacific, there's some lines that pass through there. There's a few that are based there all year round. If it's an ocean-going ship with a with an ice strengthened hull, it can go anywhere cold. It's really the shape of the boat, and you know. So, so yeah. I mean, sailing ships, of course, can sail around the world if you have the time and the wind is right. So there isn't any place, any quarter of the world that you probably can't get to if you have a well-equipped small ship. I would agree. I mean, whether you would want to cross a huge ocean in a small ship where you would feel the waves more. I mean, I think there's a few diehards like my partner, Ted, who who co-created Quirky Cruise. He would love to be at sea for eight days on a small ship rocking, like, you know, bobbing up and down. I I actually wouldn't, but, but yeah, the the ships can do it, but you would feel it more, right. Compared to a 5,000 passenger, you know, ship. Absolutely. But I think small ships tend to stay closer to land. That's the, the whole point. As you said, they're destination focused. So I would say the majority are stopping almost every day, you know, wherever they are. And as opposed to, you know, the old style ocean liners, of course, might focus on days at sea intentionally. I, I would say generally with small ships, that's not the point. As far as the people, you get to know them better because it's a smaller group. And that's a plus and a minus, I guess, depends on the group to some degree. What are some of the other positives that, that you can think about? in a small ship. I mean, I think that that is a big one to me is is meeting and inter- interacting with people. And usually a small ship crowd, it would tend to be the same type of person that you are. And I'm talking small, sometimes more like 20 or 30 or 40 passengers. There's a company called Pandal River Cruises, which sadly just announced they're going out of business because of the pandemic. But they, they were based in Southeast Asia and their boats, their river boats carry 20, 30, 40 
passengers. And I, I still correspond with people that I've met on those ships because they were just always an adventurous, really interesting crowd of people. So anyway, d- definitely socializing and learning a, and about other people and the reasons that they also like the same type of travel that you do, you know, adventurous people who have been so many places as you uh, experience, I'm sure talking to some people and hearing where they've been and all the adventures they've taken, you know, as part of, that's part of the fun. But I think also just, again, getting so close where you don't have to wait in line, you don't have to wait, you know, have a tender number to, to get to where you need to go. You literally could walk off. Even if you're at anchor, then you just hop into the skiff. But Everything is fast and more natural and organic. So you get off your boat, your own land. It's like immediately you're immersed in that culture of where you are. I would say with, as you said, with the nature and the real people and the and landscape. I get, recall a Star Clippers cruise I did a couple of years ago in Thailand. That was so amazing. We had to do wet landings. So the ship, the tall ship was anchored offshore, 150 passengers or so, 130 we take a tender and then we hop out the hatch in the front. We walk through the sand, through the water. You know, then we're just on the beach, just us. And I just can't imagine wanting to be at a, on a beach with thousands of other cruise passengers. Right. So, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just special. Yeah. Tell us about the sailing ships. I, I've been on a few of them. And they have sometimes five masts and they're spectacular to look at but they're not always sailing they're very often raising the sails just for a pretty ride or to be at you know port and and look pretty but tell us about Uh, that as you know most of them do also have engines so that they can maintain a schedule and they can you know offer cruises in their brochure and you can book something so yeah star clippers for instance has engines and they try to sail but sometimes you know more than more than others but it's still a beautiful experience to see the sails go up and down. And, and so a lot of these ships, I would say, are hybrids in that the sails work and they're fabulous. And if the winds are going the right direction, then you're, you're sailing. They turn the engines off. But that reminds you of this summer, I was on a main windjammer cruise. Now, they don't have engines. Like, that. those are the real deal. And, and oh, there's yeah. a consortium of, of main windjammers. Maybe you've been on one. I do. I have, the, yeah. um, almost a century old. <laughs> Were you on that one? I was on one many years ago. Um, I don't remember the name. I just remember we were doing a lot of work. It was a real deal. Yeah. We were polishing yeah, grass. Actually, and- yeah. And they actually really do need the passengers to help. So it's not like the other cruises where do it and take a selfie. You can get both experiences. But a lot of the more mainstream ones would have engines also. Sea Cloud is a wonderful line. They tend to attract a large German clientele and British, but also some North Americans. They're just wind powered for the most part. And that's why people want to go on Sea Cloud. You really can do it all. In Indonesia, there's a lot of local boats, a type of local schooner called a Phoenici, and they tend to be two masted. You know, it's just another type of beautiful sailing ship, tall ship that you see over here. Absolutely. yeah. I remember one of the activities I, I was on one, I think it was Windjammer, uh, not Windjammer, I was on Star Clipper maybe. And one of the activities was to climb to the crow's nest. That was our fun activity. Right. There are not as many activities on these boats. There are more things like that. And it's it's real. It's fun. Right, right, right. Yeah. Have ever been on the May, uh, on the um, Barefoot Windjammer cruises? No, I haven't been on the Barefoot Windjammer, but that sounds very, very uh, yeah, okay. fun. Yeah. Some of the downsides... I think, as you mentioned, you're in tight quarters with the other passengers, which is usually a plus, but obviously sometimes it might not be if you don't care for somebody. There's not as many places to hide. You know, you can go to your cabin. Sometimes that's the only place if you wanted to avoid people. So, you know, you have to be social, I think, definitely, or you have to at least appreciate 
you know, listening to other people and being around them. As we touched upon, just in terms of rockiness, if you're going in open oceans, you would feel it more in a small ship like the Galapagos. We're, I'm about to publish two Galapagos articles from two freelancers, one um, went with Eco Ventura on the um, origin, 20 passing origin. Another writer was with Lynn Blad. But, but the, the seas around the Galapagos can be quite rocky. So, you know, that's part of a small ship cruise there. Have the kinds of stabilizers, of course, as the big mass market ships would. I would say another, it's not a negative to me, but for instance, in Southeast Asia, I think some passengers want to see Asia, but they still aren't quite ready for a really immersive experience like sometimes you get. And so some people, it's almost too intimate, maybe is what I'm trying to say. What about kids? What about families? There's some downsides to that, right? In terms of what to do on board. Yeah. So I'd say most, most small ships would be for age 12 plus. And there are exceptions. I've taken my boys. I have twin boys who are now 19. But when they were younger, we went on on the Rhine, you know, and that was in the summer and they had some kids programming. That was really, they had fun. That was excellent. A Croatia yacht cruise, for instance, could be good with families because you, you're swimming and doing water sports all day. So if you're in a warm weather des- destination where you can be in the water, then I think they're family friendly. If you're in Southeast Asia, just touring all day in the hot sun, that's not as much, uh, obviously, for young kids. So, so yeah, it's not like the mass market where there are programs and playrooms. and that's You don't thing. get to meet Goofy. You right, meet you goofy don't people. Meet goofy. <laughs> goofy people, but not That's goofy. true. <laughs> of course, like the Galapagos. Again. I mean, that would be, a, an, that's an amazing family destination. You know, your kids are, are seeing the wildlife and, and experiencing um, you know, snorkeling and, and just the scenery. Yeah. But again, generally, I'd say over 12. Uh, so let's describe in detail something about the public spaces. Are they smaller on a small ship or are they the same size, just fewer of them or it depends? It depends, but I would say generally they're smaller. But And there's usually like the whole top deck would probably be open. So a lot of people hang out. On, on open deck. So whether it's a river cruise in Europe or these Pandal River uh, cruises in Southeast Asia, the Galapagos, there's always a lot of decks because people want to be outside and so warm weather destination. So yeah, but definitely less options. So there's not going to be four restaurants. There's going to be one or two, maybe on the bigger, like Sea Dream is, is 100 passengers. They have two dining venues. So some of the Windstar Ships have a few, you know, so you might have three max, but uh, mostly you would have just one. They may have one, but it's a wonderful one. Right. So cabins generally would be smaller. And again, river sailing barges, those would all be smaller. As you said, there's there are the luxury uh, ships. Most of those now would be more in the four to five hundred passenger range. But there are some luxury ones in the two and three hundred range. Those could be quite, quite posh, um, but they're not going to be still, they're not going to be like a three room penthouse. You know, there just isn't the space for that. But, but there is a luxury side of small ship. Sure. You know, so there's something for everyone. I, I guess I personally don't focus on the ultra luxury as much. It just doesn't interest me, but, but it's there for people that want to have it. You know, I, I did a scenic Mekong river cruise right before the COVID pandemic happened. And, you know, that riverboat, I mean, those those cabins were quite nice. They they were mini suites. So that we had a butler. The windows are floor to ceiling. You know, you had a little table, a walk-in closet. Like, so you, the luxury is there. And I guess things are moving a little bit more toward luxury because people like luxury. People with money want luxury. Right. Something for everyone. As far as activities, I think 
in many ways, it's itinerary driven. So there's maybe not as much to do on the ship because you're supposed to be out of the ship doing the fun things. But there is one thing that's super good is, and we touched on it before, the, the water sports. Some of these ships have, you know, submarines and everything you could think of to play in the water from jet skis to slides. What do you think? Is that something to look for? Is it more and more the thing to do? Yeah. The warm weather small ships often have a marina or a platform off, off the aft that for easy accessibility to so the platform or marina is actually at the water level. You walk down some stairs, you take your paddleboard or your kayak or your snorkeling gear and you just swim right off the back, which is just really awesome. And then, as you mentioned, some of the expedition ships, Lindblad and some of the others would have exploration toys. So meaning there's a few have submersibles. Often you have to pay extra for that, but you get into a little pod and you go down deep and, you know, take photos. And so the expedition ones would have those types. Those aren't water sports, but, you know, ways of getting in the water. As far as activities and entertainment, I really like small ships because you get terrific lecturers, you get naturalists, local talent comes on the ship wherever you're docked very often because there's not a lot of entertainment. There isn't a big theater or casino might be one little uh, slot machine, if that. So the the, the feeling is more local. And I think that's one of the best parts. I've loved that over the years to to learn and to enjoy the local stuff. What about you? I can recall uh, some cruises in Greece and uh, Turkey where, as you said, the local performers come on at, at night uh, when, when the ship is docked and it, yeah, it's great. Like doing the traditional Turkish dances. And I remember with my kids that skirts are flying and they're, you know, hopping, hopping up and down and twirling around and swirling in uh, Asia. You see a lot of the local performers, p- performers with the interesting, you know, local instruments that many people have never seen before. Yeah. It's really, I, I much prefer that, you know, to see the, the how the, what the local culture scene is like and often these folks come in on a little motorboat and you know with a spotlight and they crawl up the ladder depending on the kind of boat you're in so that even that's adventurous to to see how they get to you and then they go back to their village i love that yeah i do too it's and also it can be extremely relaxing because there's lots of time if you want to read or to just do puzzles there's usually a big puzzle out on a table and people to play yeah. trivia with or games or cards. It's a nice combination of great itineraries and lots of time to relax. And I think a lot of people would love a small cruise who don't think they like cruising. I hear that a lot. I don't like cruising. But I think people who say that might enjoy smaller ships because this is something that's you know more different and maybe what they would right. enjoy more than the, 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 the mega ship. Yeah, definitely. I meet a lot of people that say that. I mean, it's funny you meet both. You do meet people that say, oh, last year I was on the 5,000 passenger one, but I also love the main windjammer. So there's those people. But then there's many, as you said, that would never step foot on a big one. They just don't like anything about it. They don't want to be with that many people. And and they like something that's authentic and small scale and intimate, an organic feel to it and not contrived. And, you know, they don't want the neon and the Flesh. Right. And yeah. where you can see the sea. I think on some of these mega ships, yeah, exactly. they're, they're huge, huge malls and you walk through them and you don't see much of the sea. And if you do love the sea, right. I think you would enjoy the smaller ship. Yeah, it's great to see on a small ship, you'd see the coastline or you see the riverbanks or the canal banks. And I think that's a plus for sea people. They don't feel claustrophobic. They don't feel sort of lost at sea. They can always see 
the land or the destination. And for some people, that in and of itself is a big appeal. You also see life on the river. There's a whole bunch yeah. of life. I remember in uh, Myanmar, you know, people washing their clothes and all the temples yeah. glittering gold. And in Egypt, you see people along the Nile. It's a very lovely thing to watch, to come by on, on water and, and see life on the shores. You can't get that from a larger ship. You're almost in people's living rooms at times. Like that's how close you can be. You can see in windows sometimes. So yeah, exactly. it's really intimate. Well, the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So Heidi, what would be one of your favorite memories of small ship cruising? I'd say the two come to mind. Maybe my first one was a Galapagos uh, cruise uh, on a 20-passenger boat called the Letty, which is still around. And that was my first small one. I'd been on many, many big ones before that. And I was just, for all these reasons we discussed, just sort of bowled over by it. And I just loved being so close to everything. It was like a, it felt like a private boat, basically. And I, I really love that. Another one, though, that another reason that we started Quirky Cruise, Ted and I each had a few cruise experiences that stayed with us. I did a, a canal trip in Sweden between Gothenburg on the west and Stockholm on the east. And that was just a gorgeous stretch to see Sweden over four days. The, the Gota Canal, you know, 19th century canal that connected rivers and lakes. And the boat itself, the Juno, was from, I think, 1874. And wow. it was just gorgeous. The cabins are like train compartments. And, you know, so it was just such a special experience. And seeing the Swedish countryside for the first time, the food was really, really good. So go to Canal. It's called the Go to Canal, Canal Steamship Company. Something like that was just so special. And so many people that I talked to had never heard of it because uh, it's based in Sweden. And, and so I loved sharing that. That's why Quirky Cruise exists. Absolutely. There are lakes and rivers and canals all over the world that are there for you. If you if you check Quirky Cruises and other websites like that, they really offer you the world. So thank you to more cruising, whatever floats our boat. Bye. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember. So follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, PlacesIRememberLeahLane.com, and keep making your own travel memories.